Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Turn with me in your Bible or the Pew Bible in front of you to Luke's Gospel, the 10th chapter. We'll be reading verses 1 through 11 and verses 16 through 20 this morning. Again, that's Luke 10, 1 through 11, 16 through 20. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. Go on your way. I'm sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter into, first say, peace to this house. And if a person of peace is there, your peace will rest upon them. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move out from house to house. Wherever you enter into a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet We wipe off and protest against you, yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day, we're more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Now, whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects me rejects you, rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. And he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. Indeed, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy Lord, we gather in this time, this respite in our week, where we shut off our phones, we tune out the world. And we just listen to you. So as we hear your word read and proclaimed, my humble prayer is this, O Lord. Speak to us, for your servants are listening. Let us have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts open to you. 
And so that as you speak, we would be transformed to be not just mere hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. So in the month of July, we uh, had that series, the Bumper Sticker Theology Series. And for those of you that submitted bumper stickers throughout the year before and even into July, I want to say thank you. And I encourage you as you continue uh, to look for bumper stickers and things that make you kind of think a little bit uh, and go, wow, that's kind of theological maybe. Send me pictures of those if you see them at the stoplight or in the parking lot or wherever. I, I collect these things. It's, who knows, we may reboot this series sometime in the future. But do that. Lately, I've been sort of noticing things because of this series, but lately I've sort of re-noticed church signs. You know, the ones with the sliding letters? Like the one most recently, a couple of weeks ago that I saw was, you think it's hot here. Um, yeah, you guys got it. You know, if you believe in a turn and burn theology, then you get the whole idea. Uh, so uh, if you see those, if you see a clever church sign or something, you think it's worth it just to snap a picture of that and send it to me. I've got a collection of those as well. But as I've been looking at these things, I've noticed of late on cars, not just the bumper stickers, but now I've tuned into vanity plates. You know, there was a car that blew past me. It was a Corvette. I mean, it blew past me on the interstate. They're just sitting still. It oozes speed. It's got real speed. But the, le- the license plate was L8TR, later. And believe you me, as it blew past me, I thought, I doubt it. I doubt I'll ever see you again. You're so fast. But... There was that one. Then there was a car in the parking lot that had on the front bumper, it had one of those Yosemite sand plates where he says, back off. And I'm thinking, kind of on the wrong end of the car, but whatever. Um, but, you know, there are all these things. And, you know, I, it, whatever club they're part of or whatever school they attended or whatever brand of car they have, there's a, a plate on the front that might have that emblem, even though there's one right up on the hood. These are all great. But one that really intrigues me time and again is this one that says, and you've probably seen it, let me tell you about my grandchildren. And, you know, it's one of these that just brings a lot of joy because when you look at this plate, you realize that the grandparent that has it on their car, they are over the moon about their grandchild or grandchildren. How many of you have one of those, you know, not just the plate, but you've got pictures in your wallet right now or on your phone of your grandchildren? Raise your hand if you've got them. All right. After service, you can show them to each other. I uh, know you're proud. Take time. You'll take time and have that opportunity. But you've got, you're just, you really caught up on that. And I think about this, and we are so quick to, we want to share. We're so in love. We want to share, right? That's what that plate's about. Now, you wouldn't have shared about your job or even what your kids did or whatever accomplishment they had. But I can tell you, because I've seen some of your Facebook pages, your grandchild says their first word, and there's 13 pictures of your grandchild saying its first word. I'm thinking, the word was mama. I mean, the lips don't move that often. But still, we've got pictures, right? We're excited about it. I've got a coworker, or a former coworker, with a classic button-down accountant. She's a great person, a warm soul, and, and she's got a one-year-old granddaughter. And I love to ask her, say, how is your granddaughter? And she will talk forever. I just sit back and let her roll. And it's fun to hear the joy in her voice. Maybe it's a bit of bragging, maybe. But she is so completely in love that all I've got to do is say, tell me about, and the story rolls out. But I want to get a little personal here. 
When was the last time you uttered any one of these three sentences? Let me tell you how my relationship with God helps me today. Let me tell you something good that's happening at my church. Let me tell you about my faith. Now, to be fair, friends, I'm not fussing at us. Because my guess is that very few of us have uttered those phrases any time in the last couple of months, maybe even years. I'm not fussing because we have lost the connection with those questions. This was very much an essential part of our Christian faith. The early church started this way because people said, let me tell you about. The Methodist church became America's denomination because out on the frontier, someone would ride into a community and say, let me tell you about, and they would start a class and it would be these followers that would say, how is it with your soul? Which really means tell me what's going on with you and let me tell you about my faith. And they would build these classes, these societies, these churches. And that's how we became the largest denomination in our nation. But we've lost touch with that history, haven't we? Because those questions that I just left off, let me tell you about how my faith helps me through today. Let me tell you about my church. Let me tell you about my relationship with God. Those seem to be very personal. Almost that we make ourselves too vulnerable or put someone on the spot. Or maybe we feel ill-equipped. But let me ask you this. If we have the key to the best life, and we have that in Jesus Christ and in our fellowship here, if we have the key to the best life, we understand that the fellowship that we have in the space where we can grow alongside each other, we can develop love for each other and for the world, and where we can find support when things go bump in the night in our lives. If we have that in this place, why would we not share that with the world? Why do we keep that in our back pocket like it's a hidden secret? See, as a matter of fact, as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples, we are called to do that, to share our faith, to invite others into that relationship. We see that in our text today. Jesus realizes that there is so much ministry that needs to be done in the world around him that he can't even do it all, so he deputizes. The text here says 72, but some older text said 70. The number doesn't matter as much as it's a large number of people. He deputizes them to go out in pairs and to go in every town he intends to visit to share the good news of what has happened. To share the good news that the Messiah has come. He says the harvest is plentiful, meaning that the world is ripe to hear what it is that he's been teaching. The world needs the good news so much. So he tells them to go into the town. He says, eat whatever the people offer you. Really what he means by that is truly eat what they offer you, but also means accept people where they are and how they are, no matter how rich or how poor the meal may be. He says, don't go house to house. means don't go looking for a better meal, a better gig. Instead, start where you are because that's your mission field. He says, cure the sick. Not just the physically sick, but the, the ones that are, that are sick in their mind, sick in their spirit, sick in their hearts, the ones that are broken. Cure the sick and tell them that the kingdom has come near. 
as we get to the end of the text, it records that they had gone out and they came back and they were so amazed, they were so excited about what had happened. They were telling Jesus, you know, we cast out demons, we did this, we did that, we converted this many number of people. It's amazing. They even listened to us, Jesus, and they actually received the message. Remember what he tells them? He says, that's great. Don't get caught up in the numbers. Don't get caught up in all the things you did, but get caught up in the transformation in the lives of the people. That's what builds the kingdom. But there's a real lesson in this passage for you and for me and for us as a church. The lesson is who. We begin to realize that someone is called out, that we are heirs to this, we're heirs to the 70, or the 72, that we are called to go out into the world. And that we're called to go out because we've got a story to tell. We've got the story that the world needs to know. And that even if it sounds scary, that we are not alone, that God is with us as we go out, and that God will equip us to tell that story. And we recover these lessons, we recover this idea for our faith, for our church, but most importantly, we need to recover this and practice it for the sake of the kingdom. For the sake of changing the world around us. So I said, we are heirs of their work. So let me ask you two personal questions. How did you come to be a follower of Jesus Christ? How did you come to be a follower of Jesus Christ? How did you, the second one is, how did you come to be a part of this church? A part of this worshiping community, whether here on campus or in the virtual space. How did you come a part of it? My guess is that the answers... You've got two answers. You've got the quick and easy one that you can say in a sentence or two, but if you really unpack it, it's paragraphs, isn't it? It's paragraphs how you became a follower, how you became a part of this place. A little bit of my family's story. We started visiting here. I was about 12 or 13 years old, and we expressed an interest in the church, sort of filled out a card and said we might be interested and there was, at the time, there was a team of folks in the church, I think it was mostly men, and they were called the 70. Now, I'm 12 or 13 years old, and I am not a biblical scholar at all. I know Jesus loves me because the Bible told me so. I figured they were called the 70 because they were all old men. They probably weren't even all 70, but when you're 13, a bunch of older, distinguished gentlemen with gray hair... You know, you think everybody's really old. They were probably, I mean, some of us are turning gray at 50. Others turned gray in their 30s. We're not old, right? But they thought that. But they were the 70. They came out and they would visit with prospective families to do three things. One, to tell why they were a part of the church, what the church meant to them, but then to also ask us what questions we had about being involved in the church, how we might um, learn to love Centenary a little bit more, and then to really tell them what Centenary offered us as a family. Their purpose was to bring people in. Department. See, they were a multiplier, if you will, because, again, it wasn't the work of just one person. It's the work of the church to share faith and invite people in the relationship. It's just what we learn here in this text. That's why Jesus sent the 70 out. He sent them out because 
He knew he wanted to go to every town in all of the ancient world, but wasn't going to be able to do it, not in his limited time. See, we have roots in that story. We take our vows of membership. Remember, we said said we're going to support the church by what? Our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and yes, our witness. So we talk about witness. It's not just how we behave when we think no one is watching, but it's also how we live the tenets of our faith, our creed that we just said at the beginning, how we live it out in our lives, but it's also how we share our faith by our words and our actions, how we invite people into that conversation. See, we are heirs to the work of the 72 that Jesus sent out. Just like the, the 70 was here in the 80s, just like Jesus sent them into all the places. So back to these questions. There's some white space in your bulletins. I want you to take out a pen or a pencil, find it there in the pew rack. And in that white space, I want you to write down these questions because this is some homework for you this week. The first question is this, how has my faith impacted my life? How has my faith impacted my life? The second question is, how has my faith helped me face each day? How has my faith helped me face each day? And the third question is, what does my church community mean to me? What does my church community mean to me? So we start with these questions. How has my faith impacted my life? How does my faith help me face the day? And how does your church community, what does it mean to you? What does my church community mean to me? I think when we answer these questions, we begin to realize that we are called to share a story. And that we have a a story to tell. And what we have is we have a story to tell that the world needs to hear. And it starts at the foundation of these questions. I think about several years ago, they opened a new restaurant in Davidson when I worked there. Uh, It was a family of Davidson grads that had gotten in the restaurant business, the Kindreds. And they opened up this really nice restaurant that got world acclaim just like that. I mean, it was in all the food magazines. It even made Bon Appetit. Everybody in Davidson was raving that, this, that we had become this popular. And we started seeing cars from all over everywhere. And I mean all types of cars, including Corvettes that oozed speed. They were coming flying down there, if you will, to try the food at Kindred. The same thing happened in little old Kinston, North Carolina. I mean, Kinston, down east, when the chef and the farmer opened, or up in Asheville when Winston-Salem's own John uh, Fleer opened up rhubarb, word of mouth spread. That's how people found out about it. Sure, eventually Garden and Gun and Southern Living picked those restaurants up, but people started saying, you need to go try Chef and the Farmer. You need to drive all the way clear across the street. The food is this good. Or you need to go down to Davidson or go up to Asheville to try it. You need to go see, you go to Rhubarb and see what John's cooking up. See, we've told about these restaurants, word of mouth. But I think about that, and I put a pin in what we would do for a restaurant, and I think about the world around us. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that the world needs some good news, right? 
I mean, sometimes, depending on what's going on, sometimes I get emails from you talking about how broken the world is, or we have conversations out there on the porch or in the hallway talking about the dysfunction that's happening in the world around us, how the world is hurting. We talk about our friends who have a warring inside their souls where they're trying to figure out that they have worth and value or dysfunction in their families, how the world needs healing from the wounds that we inflict on each other or when things go bump in the night. Or maybe individuals that just need to hear some good news. Words like, you matter. You are loved. You are worthy. And think about this is a condition of the world that we live in. And so if we're willing to tell everyone about restaurants all across the street, why are we not telling people about what happens at this table? That you can come to this table, that there's always room, the food is always good, there's always plenty of it, and there's a spot just for you. See, that's the story the world needs to hear. That's the story that we're called to tell. And the roots of that are in those questions you just wrote down. But I'm going to give you two more questions. You ready? Who do you know in your life that needs to hear about this table of grace? Who do you know needs to hear about the table of grace? Who do you know needs to find the hope that you have found in this community of believers? What friend what coworker, what teammate, what relative, what acquaintance do you know needs to find the hope that you find in this place, that needs to know that there is a place at the table of grace just for them? Now, if you didn't write their name down, that's okay, you can do that this week, but when you, when you get that name or a list of names, here's what I want you to start doing with it. I want you to look at the answers to your other questions, but I want you to start with this. About this person or these persons, I want you to pray. Friends, the best gift that we can give each other is the gift of prayer. Many of you tell me that you pray for me every day, and I appreciate it because I feel it and I know it. In the hardest days of my job, I know you're praying for me. Our staff knows you're praying for us. That is strength. But what I want you to do for the names or names, that's name or names that you've written down is I want you to begin praying for them. I want you to pray for them and I want you to pray about an opportunity. I want you to pray that sometime in the future that there will be an opening where you can share this news about this table, about this place, about your faith. I want you to pray that there will be an opening. I want you to pray about that conversation about that God will give you the words the best words for them to hear. I want you to pray for their receptiveness in hearing them. So I want you to pray over these names. Because you are called. You are sent. You are part of the 72 and the harvest is ripe and you have a story to tell. But I know it seems scary. 
When Jesus sent the 72 out, he sent them out in twos because he did not want them to go alone. And when we go out, when we are called to go out into the world and to share our faith, we don't go alone either. God is right there with us. God is in these conversations. God is in this with us. God is guiding these conversations. That's why we pray for that wisdom. We know that we're called. We know that we have a story to tell. We even might know who we need to tell it to. But we ask our question, how do I do it? We don't teach a lot of faith sharing in the church anymore. And and that's something that we've lost and something that we'll figure out a way to recover. But let's look at just what Jesus told the 72 today. He said, enter a home. He says, don't move around. Enter a home. That's your mission field. That name or those names, friends, those are your mission field. He said, said, eat what is given. In other words, just spend time there. Heal the sick. Tell them the kingdom is near. This is a slow process. This is the long game. This is about relationships. This is not a one and done, a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am kind of a thing. You can't just walk in and say, hey, Jimmy, let me tell you about my church. It's a great place. You should come and be done with it. It's about relationships. It's about listening to their needs, listening to their woes, listening to their hurts, listening to their desires, and helping them find the right combination. Think about your own life. Think about that first question I ask you, how did you become a follower? My guess is it wasn't a one and done kind of thing. It wasn't instantaneous. It said someone spent time pouring into you the gift of grace, the gift of teaching, the gift of faith. Maybe it was a group of someone, Sunday school teachers, uh, confirmation mentors, other kinds of mentors. Maybe it was uh, an older adult, adults older than you that really took an interest in you and helped show you the way and guided you along. The same is true in these situations with these people that I'm talking about. You can't just, just take it haphazard. You've got to develop and pour into this relationship, this desire to share faith by your witness by your care. Studies have shown over and over again that converts to the faith, members of churches, disciples, aka followers of Jesus Christ, they don't happen happenstance. It happens because someone took the time to show them the kingdom, to witness to them, to listen to them, to help them find the answers, to invite them into a relationship to grow alongside with them. So here's the final piece of your homework, the final question. How will you be intentional about showing the gospel, showing the kingdom to the person or persons on your list? How will you this week be intentional about showing the gospel, showing the kingdom to the persons on this list? In other words, what will you, how will you pour into that relationship that may one day lead to that conversation? See, when I think about that, I think about this room, I'm looking around, I'm going to guess that there's probably about 273 of you here, probably another 200 or so, maybe even 300 online. And I think about that, and I just think that if we had these names in front of us, had these questions, and we wrote out these answers and spent intentional time this week really pouring over them, 
really praying about them. And then we took the long game. We went out into the world. Over the next week, month, year, it's a long game. But just think, if we really poured into these relationships over the next 12 months, imagine the fruit that could be received. Imagine the growth of the kingdom. If those folks came alongside us in this place, the room would be full. We might need to be talking about having a second service, but there would be plenty of room at the table because there's always room at the table. We serve a God that took two loaves and five fish and fed 5,000 people with 12 baskets of leftovers. We serve a God that says there's always room at my table and the finest food will be provided. So think of the rejoicing in heaven as the kingdom is built. Just as Jesus told the 72, think about what you accomplished. Think about what we could do for the sake of of our church, for the sake of our community, for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel message. If we would realize that we have a story to tell and that we are called to go and share it and that we were intentional about pouring into those relationships. Imagine the difference that we make not only in this place, but in the world around us. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.